All right. If you didn't grab one of these, there are sheets in the back, and hopefully I printed enough this week. Uh, a couple of people asked for past weeks of notes, so I, I printed five of each. So I'll just start bringing those every week, too. So if you missed session one or session two, the notes are about there. <clears throat> well, um, <clears throat> I was going to say, if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians 5, that's kind of the main place we're going to be. We're going to flip around some, but all this is in your notes. I tried to include all the scripture there. Um, I don't know, for me, I, you know, scripture references in notes are, are great, but I like having it right there in front of me so as the person's teaching it, you can see exactly what the scripture says. And so I did take up uh, a lot of room in the notes with, with scripture, <clears throat> but I hope that's uh, beneficial uh, for you. And because, um, and, uh, like I said, I mean, usually even when I do slideshows, I usually have my main points, and then I have just the, the scripture, because again, it's, it's just good to see it um, and, to, and to read it. So we're in week three of uh, our Fundamentals of the Family uh, uh, sessions, and like I said, uh, what we're doing is we're, we're, um, we're teaching through this. This is something that I think is, um, will be beneficial for us in this class, but Lord willing, we're going to create something out of this that we can continue to teach um, over and over, and it'll be beneficial for us as a church uh, consistently. Uh, but week one, basically, we talked about the, the foundations of um, the fundamental foundations, I think we called it. Um, and basically, I mean, we just looked at what Ephesians says, that you first got to be born again. You have to be saved uh, in order to have a godly family. I mean, part of that, you're just like, well, of course. But at the same time, there's many times where we strive to, to do things that the Lord says or to, um, you know, to... Um, uh, practice things that may have wisdom in them, but apart from salvation in the Lord, uh, there's something greater that needs to happen in your family before you have a, a good godly family, you know, and, and you must be born again. So you have to be saved. We talked about you have to be uh, connected to the church. I think we use the word associated with the church. You have to be a part of the body of Christ, um, first and foremost, because as a believer, I mean, you can't live in obedience to the Lord, and you can't do the things the Lord calls us to do apart from the body of Christ. And so if you're, you want your family to be a family that reflects Christ and is um, go, uh, living for holiness and godliness, then you've got to be connected to the church. Uh, we also said you have to be walking in sanctification. Um, we talked about uh, how the Lord says, you know, walk in a manner worthy of Christ, that we're to imitate God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved. And so all these, all these uh, admonitions uh, in the Scripture uh, require for us to be striving for what change talked about, striving for holiness, cutting off things out of our life, putting off, putting on, um, practicing fruit of the Spirit, um, uh, putting to death deeds of the flesh, those kind of terminology that the Bible uses. So you've got to be pursuing sanctification because, again, the, the things we're talking about, when it becomes, uh, whether it's being a godly wife, being a godly husband, being a godly parent, uh, whatever it may be, good communication, conflict resolution, all those things are just rooted in Walking like Christ, living like Christ, uh, and, and pursuing holiness. Uh, and then finally, we said you have to be spirit-filled. And what we mean by that, what the scripture means by that, is being controlled by the Spirit of God. And so what you're striving to do, the, if the Lord is in you, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're born again, uh, then what you're consistently doing as children of God <clears throat> is uh, striving to not be controlled by your desires, your will, the things that you want in life. And you're, you're striving to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And, and it's all those things that we talked about. Um, being controlled uh, by His Word, submitting to what He says, 
um, uh, uh, walking in a manner worthy of him, uh, being patient, loving, joyful, um, uh, merciful, forgiving, those kind of things. And uh, one of those fruits of the Spirit that we talked about that is the essence of who Christ is and what we're called to be as Christians is being submissive. Uh, Ephesians 5.21, that we subject ourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. That's how we live. So our life is to be a life of selfless, sacrificial service to others. That's what it means to be a child of God. Our, our Lord displayed that. You know, he washed the disciples' feet right there before uh, he went to the cross. He told them that you love others the way I've loved you. Go and do likewise. Follow my example. Um, so part of that is him show, he's, you know, he's the, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the one that created all things, sustains all things. And he is washing the dirty feet of his disciples. And he tells the disciples, those who want to be great, they go and they serve others. They sacrifice for others. And they, they, um, they're, they're, they're selfless. And so, again, when you talk about our family, that's the first place that we begin practicing selfless, sacrificial love, sanctification, um, submission, all of those things, they're, they're at play in the home uh, in these different roles. But all that being said, the Lord has set up the home with submissive and uh, uh, with you know, the husband uh, being the head and being the authority of the home, the wife submitting to the husband, uh, the children submitting to the parents, and all of them submitting to one another in the sense of laying down their lives, sacrificing for each other, loving one another. But there is a... There is a uh, um, what am I trying to say? Yeah, yeah, hierarchy or uh, uh, the way the Lord has laid the family out. He's displayed it, and then he gives us analogies to show us that, which we're going to look at today. In the same way that the husband is the head of the wife, Christ is the head of the church. And so the husband is looking at Christ as his example. The wife is looking at the church as her example of submission. Uh, but that still doesn't eliminate the fact that the husband, in uh, subjecting himself to one another in fear of Christ, is laying down his life for his wife like Christ did for us. Uh, that the wife is striving to imitate Christ by being submissive to her husband, the way that Christ was submissive to his father, did not speak on his own initiative, did nothing on his own will, but always what his father commanded. So in all things, there's a Christ-likeness in both roles. Uh, but then within the family, there is a hierarchy. There's a, the husband is the head, and the, the wife is to be submissive to the husband. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the fundamental role of the wife um, and um, we're coming out of last week talking about how God uh, created marriage, uh, why he created marriage, and how he created marriage. And so within the marriage relationship, there are differentiated roles between the husband and the wife. Uh, and like the, your, your notes say there, the, the roles were not corrupted. Uh, I'm sorry, they were corrupted by the fall, not created by the fall. In fact, the roles were created prior to sin even existing uh, in, 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 uh, in this created order. They're a reflection of God's best, not a response to our worst. And the ordering of the marriage relationship was ordained by God at creation for his own glory and for the good of both men and women. And so again, if you take it all the way back to Genesis 2, you watch how he created marriage with Adam and Eve, taking Eve from Adam, uh, taking the rib, making Eve, bringing them together, and uh, calling them one flesh and saying, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh. The, the pattern and the, the relationship of marriage, the establishment of marriage was prior to the fall. The fall is just what makes it hard. The fall is what makes men want to, uh, to, to, to relinquish their role of leading. The fall is what causes women to want to overstep the man and to lead the relationship, um, and both of which uh, cause chaos within the marriage um, and isn't glorifying to the Lord um, and causes more problems. So even though men and women are positionally and personally equal, 
They're not equal in function and authority. Functional distinction does not require inequality as demonstrated by Jesus Christ. Jesus is the essence of submission. You've got to think about that. We don't look at Jesus and say he's any less than the Father. He's fully God, just like the Father is fully God, yet the Son submits to the Father. And so you see equality in character, equality um, in, uh, in, 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 um, in, in person, but then you see a submission uh, in their roles uh, that they have. And so it's the same thing in marriage. Uh, in Genesis 127, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So both man and woman are created in the image of God. Both have uh, equal um, worth uh, uh, personally with the Lord and positionally with the Lord. Uh, in Galatians 3, 27 through 28, it talks about us being in the church. It says that uh, all of you are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man. Uh, there is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So in other words, in Christ, uh, positionally, no one is higher or greater. We all belong to him. All of us have been washed clean by his blood. All of us have been saved by his grace. And so we're equal in Christ. Does that make sense? But you also know that if you are born again and you are in Christ and you are a female, you remain a female after you came to the Lord, right? It doesn't mean that it erases your sexuality or erases your gender. It just means you're equal in Christ, but still within function, uh, because, again, the, the, the letter of Ephesus or Colossians, all the t- places that talk about the marriage relationship, are assuming that these are born-again believers, uh, equal in Christ, but there's still authority and submission within the marriage relationship. So real oneness cannot be experienced unless the husband and wife know, accept, and fulfill their varying but complementary responsibilities. Uh, obedience to God's command for the husband and wife Uh, is founded on spirit-filled submission to Christ. Again, like we've already talked about. So when we are talking about this relationship, what we're both doing, both male and female, both husband and wife, are looking to Christ both for example and for instruction. Uh, And the Word of God uh, gives us clear instruction uh, on how to live within the marriage relationship in a way that glorifies Him, that is good for both individuals, good for the the family as a whole, uh, and what will glorify Christ in the end. So Ephesians 5.21 is kind of the, the, the verse that, that launches into all of the commands for husband and wife in Ephesians. And it says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's how all of us are to be living our lives. You should be subjecting yourself to me and I to you as Christians. This is what we do. We live uh, to, to, to love one another. We live to sacrifice for one another. Uh, we live to serve one another. Um, that's, that's our role as Christians. Uh, and then in 1 Peter 5.5... 5, Again, uh, and First Peter also has some very uh, clear and good um, uh, scripture talking about the marriage relationship that we'll look at. Uh, but the, in First Peter, the whole thing, the whole, the whole context is uh, imitate Christ and, and suffer in the same way that Christ suffered, uh, laying down his life for you. Uh, and then it talks about suffering in all these different relationships, including the marriage relationship. And First Peter, what's so great about First Peter, and we'll talk about this, is First Peter, you're, you're given the same admonition to husbands and wives, but it's with the context of the husband's not doing what he do, should be doing, the wife's not doing what she should be doing. There is conflict in the marriage, and you still maintain the exact same commands and the exact same roles the Lord gave us. But in 1 Peter 5, 5, near the end of the, the book, it says, All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. So the point of both of these things is that this is how we are to live. 
We're striving for humility. We're striving for sacrificial service. We're striving for submission. That's what Christians are aiming towards. So every man and woman in this room should be striving to be more and more and more submissive like Christ is submissive to his Father, being submissive to his word, being submissive to his will, being submissive to everything he calls us to be. All of us should be striving more and more and more to lay down our lives for one another and to sacrifice for one another, to put each other's interests before ourselves and to humble ourselves. That's just intrinsic in, in, in Christianity. It's what our Savior was. It's what we are called to be. And in that context, these verses are, are, are a breath of fresh air. These verses are wonderful. It's only in the context of a world that says all the things we just said, submission, sacrificial love, um, service, those kind of things. The world looks at that and thinks that those are uh, demeaning or that those are, uh, cause you to be you know, some sort of subservient, second-class citizen or whatever. Uh, but but in, the, in the realm of Christianity, this is exactly what our God was like when he was on this planet in human form like us. And this is exactly what we want to be. So who cares what the world says? Let's listen to what our Savior says and then live our lives this way and then live in the marriage relationship in this way. So a real quick recap, being spirit-filled equals being controlled by the Spirit. Uh, Being controlled by the Spirit means submitting your thoughts and your words and your ways and your will to God's revealed word. And I think I told you this. I always used to say it in the youth group. I say it uh, all the time to my kids. You You want to be brainwashed as a Christian. You want your mind and the way that you think to be washed over and over and over by his word so you think more like him, you speak more like him, you see the world the way Christ has said this is how the world works. You want to be brainwashed. You want the word to control how you think and how you live and what you, uh, how you interact with other people. And so that is to be controlled by the spirit, is to, to let his spirit um, uh, control your thoughts, words, and ways. Um, and being submissive to God at all times, in all relationships, in all thoughts and words and actions. And so that's what we're striving for. We want to be submissive to the Lord. So that, like 1 Corinthians 10 and Galatians 3 says, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God. The only way you can do that is to be submissive to Him, to His Word, and, and to be filled with the Spirit. Galatians three seventeen, whatever you do in word and deed, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, again... These are foundational things uh, that that we're striving for as Christians, but this is what is behind uh, the roles of the husband and wife. So to humbly place oneself under the authority of another, putting their interests before your own and putting yourself in subjection for their good and his glory, that's the essence of humility and selfless love. Again, when we talk about women being submissive to their husbands, that should not strike any Christian as oppressive. That should be like, yes, I want that, and I want more of that, and I want to be more and more and more submissive until the day that I die, because that is what my Lord is like. Um, Jesus Christ is the perfect example of submission. He subjected himself to his own Father in perfect obedience uh, and subjecting himself to mankind uh, in loving self-sacrifice for our own good and salvation. We'll talk about that soon. Um, but, but he laid down his life for us, even though he is our Lord and our God and our creator. And then the church as a whole is called to imitate Christ in that submission. We as Christians, uh, as the church, uh, should submit to Christ by willingly placing ourselves in subjection to his will and his ways and his word in a desire to love and please him by being obedient to our Lord. So all that being said, wives in the marriage relationship 
are grace granted by the gift of the Lord, a role and responsibility that both reflects the love and submission of the church to Christ and exemplifies the humility and submission and love of Jesus Christ himself. That is an amazing privilege and an amazing honor to be given a place that you have been commanded by God to exemplify Christ. And and that's a way to show your love, your obedience to the Lord, and your love for your husband. So all that being said, point number one on your sheets uh, is that the wife is to love her husband by being submissive. If you didn't know the blank by now, you you must have been asleep. (laughs) The wife is to love her husband by being submissive. And the submission of the wife, the next next line, should reflect the submission of the church. That's the first example he gives us in Ephesians. The submission of the wife should reflect the submission of the church. The Christian's obedience to Christ is the model for wives. The way that we submit to Christ in the church should be a demonstration of how the wife is to submit to her husband in all things. And vice versa, when a wife is humbly submitting to her husband she becomes an example and a testimony to the church of how we should be obeying Christ. And you may know wives like this. I I don't know if you've met people that are in hard situations, uh, they're in hard marital situations, um, whether it be, you know, conflict in the marriage or things from the outside or cancer or things like that. And when you have a, when you have a wife that is submitting, especially in the, in the situation where a husband is doing the wrong thing and the wife is submitting to the Lord, loving her husband, even though the husband's not doing the right thing, when you have an example of a wife that is submitting to Christ and striving to be a gentle and quiet and, and, and respectful wife, is striving to submit to her husband because of his, uh, the, the, the uh, eternal weight of, of his soul rather than you know, just having happiness within the marriage, that becomes a, 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 like a beam of light for every Christian. I want to be more like that. When you watch someone walking through suffering and hardship and submitting to the Lord, even though they could compromise in certain areas and probably have a little bit more peace in the family. That becomes a really amazing testimony uh, for any Christian. Um, and so, all that being said, Ephesians five twenty one through 24, the verse uh, that we're looking at, the main verse, it says, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. In this verse, uh, being subject here is borrowing from verse 21. We already said that. That's the, the main verb. Um, and it, it just means to obey, to submit under, to put yourself um, uh, underneath someone else to, to serve the interests of others. Um, is putting yourself in subjection. And it says here, for the wives to subject themselves to their own husbands. Again, this isn't a uh, women subject yourself to all men. Uh, it's, it's wives subject yourself to your husband. Be submissive to your own husbands. Again, there is a universal standard that all of us should be submitting to one another. But this is talking specifically of the marriage relationship uh, and the order that the Lord has built the relationship uh, uh, to reflect. Uh, the husband uh, is to uh, image and imitate Jesus Christ. Again, I mean, this is a, a major command for the husband to love, to sanctify, to perfect the wife, uh, to present the wife back to her, her father, uh, spotless and blameless and without any spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So, that, again, that's an amazing, I mean, that's a weighty and terrifying call for any man that is married. 
but the wife has just as weighty of a command to submit herself uh, to her husband. Marriage should be a tangible expression of the love that the church has towards Jesus Christ, or the wife's role should be a tangible expression of the, the love that we have towards Christ and the way that we submit ourselves to the Lord. And marriage as a whole is an expression of the love of God, um, both in submission and authority. So the wife is to submit herself uh, to her own husband um, just as the church submits themselves to Christ. Colossians 3.18, the next verse under there, is the same uh, command. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And again, here you actually have an imperative verb. So this isn't borrowing from the verse before, but it's an imperative command. Wives, be subject to or submit yourself to your husband. It's an active, willing command from the Lord for all wives. In Titus 2, 3 through 5, again, you see a command for wives to be subject to their husbands, but in a different context. In Titus, Paul is telling Titus how uh, the, the church should conduct itself. And it says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good and for this purpose, so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. And, and there's a warning attached to them, so that the word of God will not be slandered. In other words... To not be subject to your own husband, um, to be to be a uh, to to be a, a wife that's trying to lead her family, um, it, it actually slanders the word of God. It brings reproach upon the word because you're claiming to want to be like Christ or wanting to submit to Him, and then when He commands, this is how the marriage should work. You're like, well, I'm going to do it my own way. I, I got a, a better way of doing this, and so you're standing uh, uh, over and against the word of God. And then in 1 Peter 3, again, this is one of my favorites because in 1 Peter 3, like I said, you have, you have actual suffering. You have actual hardship in all these different relationships uh, that, that Peter's talking about. But then he gets to the marriage relationship and he says in the same way. Now, again, uh, contextually, we'll look at this in a second. What comes right before this is Christ was suffering and, and willingly submitted himself to his father and laid down his life for us. So just like Christ did that in the face of suffering, he says in the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands so that, look at this, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives as they observe your pure conduct with fear. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on garments, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible quality of a lowly and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, former, uh, in, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do good, not fearing any intimidation. In other words... Even if your husband is not doing a good job of leading you, is not walking in obedience to the Lord, is actually living in disobedience to, to, to Christ and to the Lord, wives, you still be submissive to your husband because you're more concerned about the well-being of their soul and you're more concerned about the, the eternal state of, of where your husband may be heading rather than just, like I said, having peace within the relationship or uh, a happy life. And so because of your love for your husband and his, for his soul, and most, most importantly, uh, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, wives continue to be submissive to their husband, not fearing any intimidation, uh, but striving to be like the women of old, like Sarah um, and, um, 
and submitting themselves to the Lord and submitting themselves to their husband. So, the first point is that wives should uh, be submissive to their husbands, uh, and that's a reflection of the submission uh, of the church to Jesus Christ. If you flip over on the next page, uh, submission is courageous, fearless, and relentless. A submissive person is someone who believes God. Now, think about that. Think about when you have to submit yourself to the Lord in the face of whatever it may be. You're fighting temptation, or you're in a situation in a, uh, at work, or or in a, in a relationship with someone, and, and it just does not seem that by doing what the Lord says, this is going to work out right. But you go against what you think, and you trust Him, and you submit to Him uh, anyway. That's, that's courage. That's trusting the Lord and, and not taking things into your own hands uh, and, and doing what He says, even though in our mind we think differently. It's what uh, uh, Solomon talks about in, in uh, Proverbs 3, 5, that that you, uh, uh, what does he say, um, trust the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It doesn't mean be mindless. It means you've thought this through. You think that your plan's right. The Lord says something different. And rather than doing what you think is right, you do what he says is right. That takes self-control, discipline, courage, and, and, and trust and faith in the Lord. And that's what submission is. Uh, it's a, a submissive person. is someone who believes God who trusts in God's love, trusts in His word, trusts in His power, and trusts in His promises enough not to fight back or defend themselves. Have you thought about that? To be submissive is to trust the Lord so much that you're willing to go to trust Him rather than defend yourself or rather than fight back uh, when you have the power to. They entrust themselves to a faithful creator in doing what is right. This isn't apathy. It's not let go and let God. This is deep faith, profound trust that is displayed in submission and obedience to God. And our Father tells us that the most precious and valuable and beautiful and lovely attribute in His children is humble, contrite, gentle, meek, quiet, patient, joyful, submissive heart. I want to be like that. And every woman in this room that knows Jesus Christ should want to be exactly like that. And marriage is a relationship the Lord has given you, if you are married, to display that fruit each and every day as you trust the Lord rather than yourself. Isaiah 66, 2, again, just to show what the Lord loves, he says, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and trembles at my word. That's what the woman of God wants to be. Someone that trembles at the word of God, that fears what he says, and, and, and walks in wisdom, and is humble and contrite and teachable. Second Chronicles 16, 9, uh, it says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's what submission is. It's a heart that is completely given over to God and trusts him more than anything else in this life. That's what every godly woman should want to be. That's what every godly man also wants to be. There may be no better demonstration of the loving, compassionate, submissive, sacrificial suffering of Christ than a submissive, humble, patient, gentle, quiet, respectful wife who is married to a rebellious, disobedient, and unbelieving husband. And like I said, sometimes you see some of the most golden uh, displays of the love of Christ in the hardest situations, in the hardest marriages. Um, and and you, we, know, we know examples of that. So submission is not based on the performance of your husband. It's based on trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and striving to submit to him, just like all of us are striving uh, to submit to him as the church. Now, that being said, letter B, I also want to point out um, that submission, the submission of the wife also reflects the submission of Christ. 
the submission of the wife naturally, just because of what submission is, it will reflect the submission of Christ. In fact, if you look at all of these examples, whether it's Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, um, uh, 1 Peter, all of those things, when it talks about wives being submissive to their husbands and husbands loving their wives, it's always after saying, look at what Christ has done for you. And then as you play that out into the marriage relationship, here's what it looks like in the marriage relationship. So the example is always Christ. It's going to be the same thing for the husbands. The way that husbands are called to love their wives is a Christ-like love that should reflect the way that he laid down his life for us. But the way the wives should reflect, uh, should submit to their husbands should reflect the submission of Jesus Christ. Like I said already in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25, the verses that precede 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 that we just read, it says, For to this you have been called, uh, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, who, listen to this, being reviled was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Again, I would love to, to dig more into this, but think about that. Christ, who had no sin, Christ, who had no deceit, and Christ, who had, did nothing to deserve what was given to him, did not utter threats, did not fight back, did not revile in return, did not defend himself, went silently to the cross because he was submitting himself to his father because he trusted his father and knew this was his father's will, and was subjecting himself to his enemies who were killing him because he knew that what he was about to do was for the well-being of all of those who would believe in him. That's what Christ did for us. That's the level of submission that Christ practiced when he was on this earth. And again, this is a call for all Christians, men and women, but these are the verses that precede 1 Peter 3.1, which says, wives, submit to your husbands, even if your husband is being disobedient to the word of God. Again, Christ is the standard. Christ is the strength and the power. He's the example. He's what we're looking for. That is what drives a godly woman to be submissive in the marriage relationship, is the example of Christ, the testimony of Christ, the word of Christ, the command of Christ. It's Christ. Uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Again, another place, uh, it says, Do nothing from selfish, uh, selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe what he did, that he emptied himself. He took the form of a, of a, of a, of a man and then became, uh, took the form of a bondservant, a slave, and was made in the likeness of men, found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to his Lord to the point of death, even death on a cross for us. That was the Christ. That was the example. That's the submission of Christ. And again, that's what wives are called to imitate. In 1 Corinthians 15, 27 to 28, again, you see the subjection of Christ even after the cross. So this is in his glory after his, his, his time of suffering here on this earth. At the very end, it says, uh, for he has put all things in subjection. So God has put all things in subjection under the feet of Christ. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he has accepted the Father who put all things in subjection to him, the Son. And when all things are subjected to him, to the Son, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. So in other words, in the culmination of all things, when all things are done and we have the eternal state, all the stuff we talked about in Revelation, and God has completed all things, Christ 
subjects himself to the Father, so the Father is all in all. And again, I mean, so in his glory, the Son is still reflecting this submission uh, to the Father. That, so this is something that, that is eternally what all Christians will want to be. We always want to be people of submission, people of humility, people that, that, that trust our Father and our Lord uh, over and above our own understanding. I mean, that just, it, it, it's just who he is and what we want to be. And the wife's submission should reflect the submission of Jesus Christ. If you flip over on the next page, uh, it says a wife's, this is, um, oh, I, I put in footnotes so you can see things that I've been reading. And I forgot to mention this, actually. Uh, I, I really am enjoying this Christian home book by Paul Shirley. So I bought 10 copies and I, I put them back there. If you'd like to purchase one, I don't have like a budget for that to give it to you. But you can give me $10 or give Betty Ann $10 and we'll put it back into the, the Books of Faith Fund. But it's a great book. It's very short. Uh, it looks like it came out of his study from Ephesians. So it's saying all the same things we're saying here because this is coming out of me studying Ephesians. Um, and so uh, it's, it's just a really good book. But in Paul Shirley's book, he says this. He says, a wife's submission is not an optional feature of Christian marriage. It is mandated by the Bible. Wives cannot live in submission to the Lord if they're not living in biblical submission to their husbands. God will not command you to do something bad for you. You can trust him even if you can't always trust your husband. Submission is often difficult, but it will never be harmful to your soul. Um, and then this is uh, some, some notes that uh, I took out of uh, actually our premarital uh, stuff, which a lot of that comes from either Wayne Mack's book, uh, Strengthening Your Marriage, or from the ACBC uh, Godly Family uh, Manual. But it has a list of what submission is and is not. So submission is not putting the husband in place of Christ. You're not following your husband. You're following Christ. But in following Christ, you're submitting to your husband. Um, merely, it's not merely a concept for women. We've already said that. This is, this is intrinsic for all Christians. It's not becoming a slave of the husband. It's not giving up independent thought and becoming intellectually stagnant. In fact, you're called to be his helper. You're called to be his counselor. You're called to be there with him and to help him to think through things and to do things in wisdom. He's just leading. Uh, it's not keeping your opinion or thoughts to yourself. Um, it's not following your husband into sin. Again, your submission is to the Lord. If your husband calls you to sin, if he says, hey, listen, you got to lie with me so we can, you know, not get caught in this thing, or, you know, or you're trying, he's asking you to hide his sin, uh, that's when you, you, you go to the elders and you talk to them. You, you, you go, no, you need to go talk to the elders. Does that make sense? Um, you're not hiding the sin of your husband. In fact, God's given your husband you so that you can call him out when he is sinning. You're, you're, you're calling him to holiness and righteousness. So you want to be his helper. You want to be the one. And, and again, it's, it's almost like the other side of 1 Peter 3. You're, or it is 1 Peter 3. You're, your husband's walking in disobedience. Part of submission, submitting to him is, is going, you've got you to gotta rid your life of this. This could be detrimental to your soul. It's what Shane just talked about. Um, it's not giving up all efforts to influence the husband. It's not doing nothing to protect yourself from un, an unreasonable husband. Again, we're not calling, you know, if your husband is abusive, physically abusive, something like that, that's why we have police. That's the whole point is, is you know, you, you, we're not calling wives to be submissive to an abusive husband. We're saying in those places, you need to, part of your role in his li- life, if you love him, is to bring that out into the open. If your husband is beating you, then the police need to come and take your husband and stick him in jail because he can't beat you. Does that make sense? So we're not saying submit yourself to an abusive spouse. We're saying submit yourself to Christ, but part of that will be get your elders to help, get the authorities to help if it's really that. Um, And uh, it's not based on the husband's superiority or worthiness. It's not submit to your husbands if your husbands are loving you like Christ loved the church. 
is submit to your husbands because this is what Christ calls you to be as a wife. Here's what submission is. It's an attitude uh, uh, in action. Um, it's done in gladness and delight. It's a willing choice. It's not a feeling. You don't submit when you feel like it. Uh, it's, it's, um, and um, it's not something that your husband forces you to do. This is something that you willingly submit yourself to Christ and you do. It's a spiritual matter uh, as unto the Lord. Um, and you need the Holy Spirit to do it. It's comprehensive and continuous. Um, it's a way to express dedication and devotion to your husband. It's a protection from the wife. True freedom is not getting out from under authority. I mean, think about that. When you try to escape the authority of Christ and you go and you sin, it's like what Shane just said. That true freedom is not enslaving yourself to sin and being under, not under the authority of Christ. True freedom is submitting yourself to the authority of Christ and finding the freedom that comes through holiness. And it's the same thing in the marriage relationship. Uh, it's the best way to influence the husband. Again, think about that. If you have a husband that wants to fight and the wife doesn't fight back, I mean, that, that stops the fight. Uh, if you have a, a wife that is humble and kind and patient, doesn't revile in return, it's hard, it's hard to revile someone. It's hard to be belligerent. It's hard to fight someone that just won't fight back. And so one of the best ways that you can be an example of godliness to an ungodly husband is to imitate Christ in that way. Uh, and it's God's way of maintaining order in the home. So first and foremost, and the biggest part of this, this whole lesson is the wife is called to be submissive to her husband. Secondly, the, the wife is to love her husband uh, by being helpful. The wife is to love her husband by being helpful. By the way, any questions about the submission? All right. <laughs> Uh, the wife is to love her husband by being helpful. God made the woman to be man's helper. Without the woman, man, even in his perfect condition, was incomplete. Think about that. Adam was incomplete without Eve. That does not mean that if you're not married, you're incomplete. We're complete in Christ. There are some people that, that by God's perfect will, they just will not be married in this life. Or they were married and now they're divorced or their husband died. And I mean, that's part of the Lord's will. But it's just to say, when God made man, God made, Adam by himself was incomplete. God made Eve to complete Adam. God created the woman to correspond to the man. And the wife was made to fulfill the needs, the lacks, the inadequacies of her husband. She was made to be her husband's unique helper. So it is to say, if you are married, you are now incomplete without your wife. God made your wife for you, and your wife is your helper, and she completes you. Genesis 2.18, the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So Eve was made for Adam to be a helper suitable for Adam. She completed Adam. Proverbs 14.1, a wise woman builds up her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Again, a godly woman, a wise woman will be a help to her family. She'll build her house up. Proverbs 12.4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. The she, she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. And then Titus 2, 3 through 5, it says, Instruct the young women to be sensible, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home. The word workers at home there literally means, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a, a compound word. It says house workers. They're to work their duty, their, their actions, their deeds are, are centered around the house, the home, and the family. Um, in Paul Shirley's book, he says, this is the primary sphere of ministry and influence for a wife and mom. Her primary duties resol- uh, revolve around managing and maintaining a spiritually ordered home life. 
This is part of the glory of women, that the Lord has given you a home and a family, and, and you have a role, a God-ordained role within that family, uh, and that is your major sphere of ministry and influence. Um, John MacArthur, in his book, The Fulfilled Family, says, Experienced wives and mothers will find their greatest avenue of ministry in teaching younger wives what they need to know to be effective wives, mothers, and homemakers. A married woman's first duty is to her own family in her own household. Managing her own home should be her primary employment, her first task, her most important job, and her true career. Again, MacArthur's written a lot of uh, stuff on this, especially in the midst of the feminist movement and everything that's going on in our world and the, the whole, like, your identity is found in your career. For Christ, first thing, your identity is found in Jesus Christ. And then for the woman, what the Lord has laid out for you is your greatest sphere of influence and your number one ministry is, is your home, is your family. Um, in First Timothy 2, 9 through 12, uh, Paul tells Timothy, and again, in the context of, of what the church is to look like. Again, you've got to think of what, uh, you know, Timothy is at the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus has been led by false teachers. It's destroyed the church. It's brought in all kinds of uh, things that have caused confusion in the church. Um, and so Timothy is laying it out for, um, Paul's laying it out for Timothy. This is what the church should look like. This is what, the, you're looking for elders that look like this. Um, and when he starts talking about what men should be doing in the church, women should be doing in the church, here's what he says. He says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, with modesty and self-restraint. So you can imagine what's happening in the church by thinking the opposite of everything he's saying here. Um, Not with braided hair, gold, uh, or pearls, or costly clothing, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, professing godliness. A woman must learn in quietness, in all submission, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first formed, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into trespass. But she will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with self-restraint. Again, you got to think, the context of the verse is in the church. Women should be silent in the church, should learn in silence, should not be teachers within the, the corporate body of Christ when we gather. So, um, and again, he goes right after this to talk about what the elders should be, um, and it, it should be men that are leading the church. He takes that back to the created order. It was Adam who was formed first, and then Eve. And so the, the male takes the leadership role, um, and, and uh, the woman, in, in this context, uh, in all submission, should not teach or exercise authority over a man. But then look at what he says. This is the, the, the grace of it all. He said, it was, Adam who was, um, it, it was not Adam who was deceived. The woman being deceived fell into trespass. So when the woman took an authoritative role over the man, the man did not leave. Adam should have led. Eve should have submitted to Adam. But she took a lead and listened to the serpent and then led her husband into sin. Um, and so it was, it was she who was deceived. But again, if you look at Romans or anything else, it's always Adam who's blamed for sin because it was, it was him giving up his leadership and protection of his wife that even allowed Eve into that place. But look at what he says. He says, but she will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctification uh, with self-restraint. In other words, 
what saves Eve from that stigma of being the one that led humanity into sin is the fact that she is now given the grace, gift, and privilege of teaching her children, the next generation and those who the Lord gives to her, to follow Christ and not follow sin. Does that make sense? And that's a, 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 a blessing for every mother. Your number one sphere of influence and your way of, of in, in a sense, saving yourself from the stigma of Eve is to be uh, uh, the person in the home that is leading your children to Christ and away from the serpent and away from sin. Um, in, in J.R. Miller's book, Homemaking, it's an old book. It's got some good stuff in it. It's kind of hard to read, but it's really good. It says, it should be understood that for every wife, the first duty is the making and keeping of her own home. And her first and best work should be done there. And until it is done, uh, well done, she has no right to go outside to take up other duties. She is to be a worker at home. And she must look upon her home as the one spot on earth for which she alone is responsible and which she must cultivate well for God if she never does anything outside. Let it be remembered that Christ's work in the home is the first that he gives to every wife and that no amount of consecrated activities in other spheres will atone in this world or in the next for neglect or failure there. That is Really deep stuff. And this is what's neat. That book was written way before the feminist movement took root here in America. It was written in the 1800s. And he's actually saying that the wife's primary responsibility is the home, not the church. Now, again, like so we always say, well, we're saying the home, not your career, right? But, but here he's saying there's, there's women at that time that are trying to you know, serve in the church and influence others and have these meetings and do all this stuff. And he's like, you're neglecting your home. He's like, that's your first and primary responsibility. It doesn't mean don't serve in the church. It doesn't mean don't have a women's Bible study. It means make sure that you're maintaining your home, that you're the one leading your children to Christ, that you're an example at the home, that you're making a safe place for your husband and, and for your family. That is your primary place. That is what the Lord has given you. That is the grace gift God has given you. And don't neglect that for more spiritual things. You know, um, And we would say in our context, don't neglect that for some, some career that no one is going to remember. And, and that's not your identity. Your identity is in Christ. So that's why I like that quote, because, again, it didn't come in the context of our current culture. It came in the context of a culture uh, that, that isn't fighting the things that, that we're fighting and looking at the things we're looking at. There's a book back there. I didn't put it in your notes. It's called uh, Devoted, Great Men and Their Godly Moms. It was written by a guy named Tim Challies. He's a, uh, an author up in Canada. It's really cool, though, because what he did uh, was he took um, testimonies of these godly men, John Newton, Hudson Taylor, uh, J. Gresham Machen, um, William Borden, Charles Hodge, John Piper, Charles Spurgeon, Augustine, D.L. Moody, and, and Timothy from the Bible. Um, and he talks about the things that it says about that either they said about their moms or for Timothy, Paul said about Timothy's mom. Um, but the whole point is that you see in all these different situations, a mother sacrificing for her boys, a mother praying for, pouring their souls into their sons. You see these examples of humility, submission, and influence in the home. And all these, these people turned out these godly men that, that led churches, that were missionaries, that, you know, um, even, like I said, uh, Timothy, who it, Paul's writing these things to. But the whole point of, is saying that these moms and these men's families uh, became the, an influence that these men spoke of to the day they died, you know? 
And um, John Newton's mom died when, she, when he was, like, super young. But the things that he learned before he was, like, uh, he, she died when he was, like, seven or nine. And then his dad remarried. And, like, long story short, I mean, that, it was just this tiny little window of influence, you know? You don't realize, like, how much influence you have even in those first few years. And, uh, but Newton, when he actually came to the Lord way later after being a slave trader and all that, talked about what his mom poured into him in those very early years. And the testimony of his mom was, was just this huge part of how the Lord brought him to Christ, even though she died when he was a, a baby. So again, your main uh, influence and your main uh, ministry is in the home, and that's what the Lord has given you. And don't neglect that for something you think is greater, a career or ministry or something like that, when you're, when you're not taking care of the very thing the Lord has said, I'm giving this to you as a grace gift and a blessing. Does that make sense? Sometimes we want things that are great. It's like what Shane said in there. You don't have to write a, a, a hundred books and, and, and a hundred songs or whatever, however he said it. You want to know what a godly leader looks like or what, a, what, what um, Christ-likeness looks like. It's, it's pursuing holiness. And the same thing with, with women. Being a godly woman, being a woman of influence, isn't teaching Bible studies. And it's not being a missionary. It's not having a career that all these people look up to you. It's making sure that you're in the home and you're taking care of what the Lord has said. This is your primary sphere of influence and this is what I've given you. Again, that doesn't mean that if, if your home is taken care of and you're doing what the Lord's called, that you can't do other things. We'll talk about that with the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, I mean, she does all kinds of things. And she's a great example of a godly woman. But you can't neglect the, the, the primary and then go make the secondary thing the primary. Again, it's like Shane said, you can't neglect holiness and go write 100 books on, 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 on uh, commentaries or, or books on Christianity. It's like you must be doing the primary thing which is submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, how, yeah. Uh, it's devoted great men and their godly moms. I put them back there. Any of the books that like, I thought like, oh man, this was a good one. I usually put that there for you to kind of put eyes on and to see. Devoted great men and their godly moms by uh, Tim Challies. C-H-A-L-I-S maybe. Something like that. It's, it's, really, it's really short and it's, uh, it's really good. My wife read it actually a few years ago and told me about it. And so uh, before I did this, I was like, I'm going to read that. There's another book back there. I don't know if I quoted it. It's called, um, it's by John MacArthur and it's called A Wife's High Calling or something. Or God, I can't remember. Yeah, God's High Calling of Women. That, that one's good too. And it has more to do with uh, the verses in, in Second Tim, or First Timothy 2 that we just talked about. It's not as much about... The marriage, but it's about you know the the wife, the the Lord giving uh, the wife that place of of um, uh, the 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 saving grace of um, uh, maintaining the home and teaching their children at home, uh, and the whole like what I just said about Eve and uh, Eve leading humanity into sin. It's, it's a very neat book. Um, so how can the wife be helpful to her husband? This is just a list, again, coming from Wayne Max, Strengthening Your Marriage. And it basically, if you really look at it, all this is is implications and application from Proverbs 31 and 1 Peter 3. So as I was reading the list, I'm like, all these things came from, from, from those places. But again, here's how you can be a helpful wife. By making the home a safe place, a place of encouragement, a place of comfort and understanding, a refuge to your husband and your children. They should want to be home. If, if home is hard, if it's hard to be home because you're there, that's not being helpful. Does that make sense? You want the home to be a, a place of refuge that like your husband and your children cannot wait to be there because you're there 
and, and, and you've created that kind of home. By being trustworthy and dependable, by maintaining a good attitude, by influencing uh, your husband to make godly decisions. Uh, he said, be like Esther, not like Jezebel. By discussing, uh, discussing, discussing things uh, lovingly, openly, and honestly. Uh, by being satisfied with your position, possessions, and tasks. By showing an interest uh, in his problems and concerns. By demonstrating physical affection to him. By enjoying shared activities with him. By being an industrious, frugal, diligent, and creative member of the team. By keeping herself beautiful, especially the inner person. Uh, by maintaining a healthy spiritual life. Uh, by building loyalty to him and the children, showing confidence in his decisions, by not doing something that would be detrimental or harmful to your husband, or by pointing out uh, his blind spots and assisting him as he struggles with sin. So again, that's, that's, that's what it means to be a helper suitable. That's what it looks like to be a helpful wife. And it's not like that's a comprehensive list. It's just saying these are ways that, that you should strive to be a helper uh, in the home and a helper to your husband. Finally, the third point, the wife is to love her husband by being respectful. The wife is to love her husband by being respectful. Again, this comes from Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. Uh, the wife in 1, uh, Ephesians 5.33, the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And then 1 Peter 3, 5 through 6, it says, For in this way, former times, uh, holy, uh, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, Um, And you have become her children if you do good, not fearing any intimidation. Uh, So, again, I I heard a guy um, preach on this one time and was like, you know, said, and he jokingly said, you know, you you need to tell your wife she needs to start calling you Lord. (laughs) And there she's like, absolutely not. (laughs) You know, but the point being was uh, what 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 Sarah did for Abraham is she she honored him. She revered him. She respected him. And that's what it's saying. She was submissive to Abraham. And again, the context, if you look at first Peter, uh, Abraham was telling her to do things not good. Abraham was being led by his own fears and Sarah was submitting herself to her husband as she submitted herself to the Lord, even though Abraham was doing the wrong thing. And the Lord ended up, like I said, vindicating Sarah, and it ended up being okay, if you want to say it that way. But the point is, is Sarah trusted Christ and God more than her husband, but she respected her husband and revered her husband, even though her husband wasn't doing the right thing in the moment. Does that make sense? And so, again, it, it goes back to, it's, you think about, you think about, relationships with other Christians or anything. We're, we're called to respect and to honor one another. Uh, we're called to honor the king. You know, we're called to, to respect authority. It doesn't mean that the authorities or our brothers and sisters in Christ are acting respectfully or being, you know, acting in a respectable way. But we're called to honor one another. We're called to respect one another. Uh, we're called to respect humankind uh, as a whole. Um, but then, again, you talk about the most intimate relationship that you would ever have with another human being on this planet outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ himself. And that relationship requires honor and respect. And the wife is called to, to honor her husband. Um, and how do you be respectful to your husband? By praising your husband, encouraging your husband. Um, uh, more commendation than criticism. Uh, uh, more aware of his effort. Uh, than his failures, more admiration than aggravation. Again, and if you think about it, all those things take work, you know? It's always easier to point out someone's flaws, whether that be your husband, your wife, your children, or just people in general. It's always easier to be cynical. It's always easier to point out what's wrong. 
uh, again, even as parents, we're striving to make sure that all of our words aren't just correction, right? And we're striving to encourage and to love. When you do see even the smallest amount of obedience, you're like, great job, you know? So do that to your husband too. Yeah, he nailed that thing in wrong, and he showed up late over here, and he blew this, but he did that one thing right, and you're like, good job! <laughs> so we all need encouragement and edification, and we all need patience and kindness. It's just part of love, you know? And so part of being a loving wife is striving to respect your husband, uh, and that takes work. That takes work for any of us in any relationship, um, and, and so much more the wife to her husband, especially as a submissive wife. So those are the three main points. Wives love their husbands by being submissive, by being helpful, by being respectful. And like I said, the main, that the, those principles mainly come out of Ephesians 5, but you see them reiterated in 1 Peter 3, Colossians 3, uh, 1 Timothy 2. Um, you see these things over and over in the Bible. Um, but I, I wanted to throw in there a Proverbs 31. Uh, Maybe all of you women already know about Proverbs 31, but you, you can't talk about being a godly woman or a godly wife without looking at the example given in Proverbs 31. Um, Martha Peace has a whole book called The Excellent Wife, which I actually have not read that one, but Kenzie said it was one of her favorites. Uh, it's a really good book uh, about being a godly wife. Um, but the whole thing is based out of Proverbs 31. And so if you look at this, look at what the Lord in, the, the, in, in, in his wisdom, has said a, a godly wife or an excellent life looks like. And again, you see many things in here that she is rare. That actually, let's just read it together and just talk. I mean, again, this isn't going to be a huge point, but I just want to read it and go look at what he's saying here. But he says, an excellent wife, who can find? For her worth is far above pearls. So she's obviously very valuable and very wonderful for anyone that finds a wife like this. The heart of her husband trusts her, so she's trustworthy. He's, uh, he will have no lack of gain. She deals bountifully with him for good, not evil. So that's obviously a helper suitable and someone that's there for his edification and for his, uh, to, to help him to follow Christ. All the days of her life, she searches for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. So again, this is a hardworking wife that's working for her family. She's industrious and resourceful. It says, she's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. So she's taking care of her family, feeding her family. She rises while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her young women. So again, this is talking about her rising up before the sun comes up and making sure that her family is taken care of and fed. She's a hardworking woman. She makes plans for a field and buys it. From the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. So she's, again, she's, she's uh, industrious, and she's uh, for her family, taking care uh, by, by buying things from her family, planting food for her family. She girds herself with strength. Uh, it makes her arms strong, so she's a, a strong woman. Uh, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night, so you have someone that is up early, staying up late again, uh, to, to maintain her home and to take care of her family. Um, she stretches out her hands to the distaff. I didn't know what that was, but it has to do with weaving and spindling and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but basically, and then it says, and, and her hands hold fast the spindle. She's making clothes for her family. So again, a very resourceful um, and sacrificial woman. Um, it says she stretches out, uh, she extends her hands to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. So after taking care of her family, now she's taking care of those outside of her family. Again, it doesn't mean that you don't, or you're not generous outside your home or you don't have ministry outside your home. It's just that your, your home is the priority. And from that generosity comes the generosity that spreads to others. 
Um, it says that she's not afraid uh, of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. In other words, she's well taken care of her house so that when hardship comes and bad weather and all that, she's taking care of everything. Um, so she's, she's anchored in the home. It says she uh, makes covering for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits with the elders of the land. Look at that. The, the way that she lives and the way that she loves her family and she takes care of her family brings a reputation to her husband. It's like, oh, you're, you're her husband? <laughs> That's a blessing. And so, so uh, basically her, her wisdom and, and, and her life uh, brings um, uh, good to his reputation. She makes linen garments and sells them. She gives belts to the tradesmen. Strength and majesty are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the instruction of loving kindness is on her tongue. So again, you see there just her at home teaching and bringing wisdom and godliness to her household. Her children rise up and bless her. I'm sorry, she doesn't eat the bread of idleness. Her children, children rise up and bless her. As for her husband, he also praises her, saying, Many daughters have done excellently, but you have gone above them all. So again, her, her children, her husband, she, she, again, she brings a good reputation to her home, and then her, the, the ones in her home are like, you are the greatest of all. I mean, that's how you, the husband should be speaking of his wife. There is no woman on this planet greater than you. The, the children should be looking at the wife and saying the same thing about her. It says, but a woman who fears Yahweh, fears the Lord, or, or sorry, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but of a woman who fears Yahweh, she shall be praised. And again, I think that's the root of all of it right there. The woman who fears the Lord is a submissive woman because she fears the Lord. That's it. The woman who's not submissive does not fear the Lord. The woman who isn't helpful doesn't fear the Lord. And the woman who doesn't revere her husband doesn't fear the Lord. That's the ground, like foundational issue. Any of us that don't submit to Christ, it's because we don't fear him and we don't love him. And so an excellent wife fears the Lord, and that's what causes her to be an excellent wife. Um, she shall be praised. Give to her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So again, just wonderful, wonderful things for any woman of God to read. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so those are the uh, fundamental roles or the fundamental role of the wife. Uh, I, I've made homework on the back again. Did anybody do the homework last week? Anybody here and try it? Was it too much? Was it good? Was it fruitful? There's good? Okay. <laughs> try the homework this week. Uh, so basically, um, uh, yeah, there's a chapter out of the Christian home. Again, I just am really enjoying it. It's very short uh, and, and easy to understand and just follows Ephesians. Um, pray for your spouse every day. I mean, that's the one that you all got to do. Every single day, you should be praying for your spouse um, uh, women, no matter what, you ought to memorize. You, you need Ephesians 5, 21 to 24 in your head. You can't practice what you don't know and you don't remember, right? So you've got to get the word in your mind and in your heart so you can practice these things. If you're able to go on a date this week, go on a date, do these things uh, with, your, with your husband. Um, and then uh, there are uh, two sermons I put down at the end if you want to uh, go on those links. Um, it's God's Pattern for Wives by John MacArthur. Uh, he, he did a, a series through Ephesians. Uh, and it just, it's great stuff for the husband and the wife and parents. So when we talk about those things, I'll refer to his sermons on those. But that's what we got today. Any questions, concerns?